Gift Biz Unwrapped, episode 280. What I need to be sharing needs to help solve the problem for someone else so that it becomes valuable to them. Attention gifters, bakers, crafters, and makers. Pursuing your dream can be fun. Whether you have an established business or are looking to start one now, you are in the right place. This is Gift Biz Unwrapped, helping you turn your skill into a flourishing business. Join us for an episode packed full of invaluable guidance, resources, and the support you need to grow your gift biz. Here is your host, gift biz gal, Sue Monheit. Hi there, it's Sue, and I am so happy that you're here today because I don't want you to miss out on the five-day challenge that's happening this week. I'm doing this specially for you if you're thinking of starting your business but haven't taken that leap yet. I'm going to show you how to start making money so you can prove to yourself that there are people out there who want to buy your product. You don't need to have your business formally set up yet, so no website, no shopping cart necessary to get your first sale. And this couldn't come at a better time with the holiday season right around the corner. Just imagine getting your first order within a couple of days and more and more coming in before year's end. Plus, I think we can feel pretty confident that the holidays are going to be different this year. With less travel and family gatherings, we all need your handmade and hand-baked products now more than ever. To register for this free five-day challenge, go to giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash set up and sell. Don't hesitate one minute longer. You can join anytime this week, no matter what day you're listening. Again, the link to sign up is giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash set up and sell. Let's move on to the topic at hand today. You're going to learn how to represent yourself as a leader in your product industry. Even if you're just starting out, it's important to treat your business like, well, a business. You'll learn how to find out what your potential customers need so you can position yourself as the one they want to buy from. The goal is to be the go-to resource when people think about the product that you make. And we're going to talk about how to do that right now. Today, it is my pleasure to introduce you to Jenny Melrose. Jenny is a former reading specialist who retired from her teaching career when her blogging income started to exceed her salary. Through hard work and dedication, her lifestyle blog, The Melrose Family, became regularly sought out by nationally recognized brands such as Neutrogena, Smuckers, Glad, Costco, Stanley Steamer, Sara Lee, and many more. She's a content strategist that helps entrepreneurs better understand their messaging and unique position in the online space. Now she's combining her passion for teaching with her extensive experience of creating strategic content for online businesses via JennyMelrose.com and her podcast, Influencer Entrepreneurs with Jenny Melrose, as well as her first book, which leads me to think you're also considering already a second one. But the first book is Influencer Entrepreneurs, the four-step framework to building your audience, growing your business, and making more money online. Jenny, I am so thrilled you're here. Welcome to the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. 
Thank you so much for having me, Sue. I'm excited to get to the opportunity to chat with you. Me too. You know, as I was reading your intro, I'm like, okay, there are so many huge names. Maybe I should just read two or three, but they're all so great. I've got to read them all. (laughs) (laughs) Just had to do it. Okay, I like to start off in a traditional way, and that is by you describing yourself in a little bit of a different, more creative way for our listeners, and that's through a motivational candle. So if you were to describe a candle by color and by quote that speaks to you, what would your candle look like? The candle would definitely be like an aqua green kind of color. I love that color feel that it's very calming and in the online space, you often need to have that kind of calming effect. If we actually had video on or if we were able to see me, my office actually has the green kind of throughout it so that it does bring back that calming feeling when I'm going throughout my day. And then the quote on it would say that I always look behind me and smile. That was actually a quote that I used in my high school yearbook, and it's one that I talk about in my book. I just feel that everything that we've done in the past has gotten us to where we are now. And I think that those failures and those successes have made us into who we are. I love that. And, you know, I think so many people look at their past and are like, oh, I wish I was back there. Those were the days. And you can't recreate them, but you can find pride and joy and advancement in them, just like you're saying. So I love this idea and this perspective. I've not ever considered it that way before. (laughs) I love that. As we get started here, take us to this whole idea of blogging and how you started while you were still teaching. What was the motivation behind starting a blog in the first place? I started it. So I had my blog. It was 10, almost 11 years ago I had started it. So it was back pre-Pinterest. Instagram didn't exist. Facebook was there. But it was back in a time when blogging was kind of this, you told about your day and you told about what you did and whatever else. And at that time in my life, I had a six-month-old and I had really lost myself as a new mother. And my husband came and had said to me one day, oh, you need to get a hobby. You just feel lost. And he was big into golf and would go and be gone for six hours. And I was kind of like, yep, I do. I need something for me. And I was a creative writing major in college and saw about blogging, had heard a couple people say, oh, I have a blog and just kind of dove into it and figured out my way around it. In the beginning, it was very much a hobby. And then I attended my first conference in New York City, Blog Her, it was back then, was what it was called. And I saw all these women that were running their blogs as businesses. And it opened my eyes to so much more that I would be able to do. Because when I started, it was written as kind of just almost like a journal. And when I went to this conference, I realized what I need to be sharing needs to help solve the problem for someone else so that it becomes valuable to them. So once I really started to understand this, honed in on my audience and who I was trying to reach, which was busy moms that were looking to get back those moments with their kids, I was able to grow it and start to have an audience that was coming to me looking to solve certain problems. I was very much on my own journey where I was learning how to cook because I had never cooked really in the past. It was my husband that was the one that would make the meals. And because of that, it was almost like I was creating simple recipes. And it was at that level where other people wanted to know, okay, I'm at the same place you were six months ago. Walk me through this. Like, how can I really get comfortable in the kitchen and be able to make things that look and taste good? (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, it's so interesting for you to share this story because I remember myself right at that exact same time. And at that point, we were out exhibiting quite a bit for my other business, the Ribbon Print Company. And I remember people coming to the booth and we always ask them what they do because that's how we know how to talk about our product with them. And we would have a bunch of people coming and saying, oh, I'm a blogger. And I have to admit, I didn't even really get it. Like, okay, you're a blogger, you're writing articles and putting them up online. And is this a career? It didn't make the connection with me for a while. Like they were wonderful, interesting people, but I wasn't understanding it at all. (laughs) So it's interesting that you're kind of dropping that right back in my mind in terms of the whole blogging evolution, if you will. Me, it was very much too. That not only was what happened if you walked up to an exhibit like that, but it also happened in my family. It happened with my husband. It was very much, well, this is just a hobby. You're just kind of doing it. And then I was like, once I could explain to him that, no, this can be a business. This can replace my teaching salary. I won't have to work full time. We can have somewhat of a normal schedule and actually get to see our now two children over the years. It was very much kind of eye-opening, and I dealt with even up until the point where I retired from teaching because I had replaced a salary of 75000 with my blogging income. I had family, parents, and siblings that would make fun of it, that it was kind of like, oh, you're just a blogger, and didn't understand. And when I left teaching, it was kind of like they were shocked and also scared because it was very much that you're taking that step into the entrepreneurial journey, which I'm sure a lot of your audience, of course, with building their own businesses, you take that step and it's scary and it's a risk. But for me and my family, it very much paid off. Well, yeah. And, you know, it's almost like I feel like because what we'll hear on our side is, oh, that's such a cute hobby. Oh, you're going to try and monetize that adorable. You know, it's that kind of it's condescending type thing. So I know all of our listeners can totally relate. And I take the approach of, okay, you know, you can have your own thoughts and your own ideas, but you'll see. (laughs) No, it's kind of like, we'll I'll prove it to you type thing. That was almost a motivating factor for me because I can remember having a birthday party at my house right before I retired for my then two-year-old and a family member made a comment about, oh, the blogger needs more light for her photos. And I'm like, it's my daughter's birthday party, but you wait. Wait until you see what I'm able to do with this business. And it just was that kind of that fire that I needed to have lit for me. That's awesome. So did you feel that way the whole time? Or were there a couple of points where you were really questioning? No, I've always kind of really believed that it could be turned into a business. And I think honestly, that you have to have that mentality. This is a business regardless of what it is, whether you're a blogger, whether you're an influencer, whether you're making your own products, you have to treat it like a business and talk about it like a business. Because other people don't start to treat it that way until you speak that language. I often will hear people say, oh, I'm just a blogger and I blog in my yoga pants and blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, they're making six figures. But other people don't understand that and don't treat it that way. And they have a chip on their shoulder because of the way that people are talking to them. But it's because of the way that we articulate our businesses. So it's really important that no matter what you're doing, whether you're just starting off, Right from the get-go, you have to talk about it like it's a business and treat it that way. Thank you. Thank you for going through that because you are so right. I mean, how we present ourselves out to the world is what they're going to believe we are. 
And I'm not saying be something other than yourself. I'm not saying that at all. But it's that confidence. And I guess the way you get the confidence is by what you're just saying, treating it as a business. Don't be saying, you know, if you've decided to make that switch, right? Because we do have some listeners who are hobbyists right now and they're thinking, like they like doing it on the side. They're considering whether they really want to make the commitment to be in a business. But once you do, then start talking like that already. And what are examples of how you would talk about it differently than if it were just a blog you were doing on the side as a hobby, as something that gave you satisfaction? What are the different ways you would talk when it's a business? How is it different? I think the boundaries that you put in place, which a lot of people wonder what I mean by that, but like you have working hours. You're working and you need to be able to establish that. And I think it, right now it's even harder. We're obviously in the midst of some crazy times where kids are home, virtual learning, you don't have as much time, but you need to have that conversation with your significant other saying, these are my work hours. This is when I'm going to be doing this. Even when our girls were little and they would nap at night, I was working because I was a full-time teacher. I would have a conversation where I said to my husband, no, I'm working right now. And in the beginning, he would do the, you're blogging with the air quotes and I'd want to punch him in his face. But I would always go back to, no, this is building my business. I'm interacting with people. I'm engaging with people. I'm creating content that is going to build up that business. So I think really setting the boundaries of being able to have that conversation first has to happen with your significant other so you can get on the same page. You need their support. Really good example of this is I still to this day, we were actually just recently in Pennsylvania visiting my family and my brother was watching with all the children that were there, my nieces and nephews, my kids. I have a 10 year old and a seven year old now, both girls, and they were watching a show, Holy Moly. And someone came up and their job description was entrepreneur. And my brother, who is very traditional, my whole family is when it comes to working, says, well, entrepreneur just means they don't have a job. And my 10 year old was sitting next to him and corrected him and said, that's not true. My mom's an entrepreneur and she makes a lot of money. So it was the understanding that we're talking about this with my girls. They understand that I have work hours, that when mommy's on a call, it's not she's chatting with girlfriend. It's someone that's a business partner or someone that is important to my business and it can't be interrupted. They understand that my typing on a computer is not me going onto Facebook and putting up whatever. It's me working and they understand that. And I think you really need your family on board to have that support to be able to start to treat it like a business. Because when we were talking before about confidence, I think the important thing to understand about confidence is it's like a muscle. You have to work at it. You have to practice it. And a lot of people assume that those that they see out there just automatically were born with that confidence. And that's so far from the truth. They have worked at it. They put out their elevator pitch and they practiced saying what it is that they do so that when they go to someone in the pickup line at school, well, if there ever is that again, (laughs) sorry, (laughs) but when they talk to someone, they're able to articulate what it is that they do and who they do it for. It's just so important. We were talking about this on a live that I do within my group, Gift Biz listeners, Gift Biz Breeze, in case you're not there yet. And we were talking about how, you know, we're around our handmade products all the time, all day long. We think about them, all of that. But when you're at a party and someone asks you what you do, so many people are like, ah, they don't have the words, right? 
So that's exactly what you're talking about. You need to be able to represent what you do with confidence, clarity, and that's the starting point. Yes. I actually have a really fast exercise that they can do to figure this out because I'm a former teacher. So everything in my mind is there's an exercise, there's a strategy. So I would say to them, if they're trying to figure out what to say, imagine yourself meeting someone for the first time if you're on a plane. Again, I can't even imagine being on a plane now. But if you were sitting next to someone on a plane and they asked you what you do, I want you to ask them a question that makes them want to know the problem that you solve. So when I created the Malrose family where I would have said to someone, well, you know how you feel like you never have enough time with your kids because everything is just so crazy? And they'd be shaking their head. Yes, of course I do. Totally get it. Well, over at the Malrose family, I create quick and easy recipes and projects that give you the time back with your family that you want. So you ask them a question that hits on the problem that you solve, and then you answer it with the way that you solve that problem and who you're solving it for. Love it. And that leads me right into something I've been wanting to ask you ever since you said it. You were talking about how when you started your blog and Mm -hmm. when you finally decided, okay, I need to be writing for people about something, a problem that they have that my articles can solve. Is that the point where you started seeing your audience go up? Yes, absolutely was. That was that connection. They knew that that they were the right people because a lot of times, especially when you're creating content, you assume that you're supposed to attract everyone. You're supposed to put all these different things out when in reality, you're meant to attract the right people and repel others. And some people are just not going to be part of your audience. And that's okay. So you have to be true to yourself. And at the same time, really be able to tell them what it is that you're solving for them. Got it. Okay. So, and I'm still back 10 years ago then, or at the point where you adjusted what you were writing so that it was attracting people, how did you get people to find you? So that was a lot of creating the right content that not only was going up in the blog so that it was being found by Google when they would search for how to make cupcakes or how to create a Valentine's Day idea that wasn't involving candy. Google obviously helped with that because the content was out there, but then also social media using back then Facebook and now Instagram. I am a true believer in Instagram stories. I absolutely feel that it is the best way to attract your audience and have a conversation with them. Figure out what they need. I've had so many clients that have created products based on their Instagram stories because of the conversations that they're having there with their audience. They're asking them directly, what do you need? Do you need a journal or do you need a book that's going to walk you through solving this problem? And getting the answers directly from them, they feel as if you're listening, obviously, but they also feel they're part of the production of it so that when it comes out, they're more likely to purchase it. So what I do think I'm hearing you saying is the way of getting people attracted and getting an audience to what you have online is the same, but maybe in a different way. So it's still search engine optimization from then and today, and it's also social media. Obviously, you've changed your focus from Facebook to more Instagram. But before we get to all of that, again, thinking of where my audience is, most of them by now, especially over these last few months, if they didn't have an online presence of some sort, they certainly do now. Yes. And we talk a lot about your own website. And with pretty much any website right now, you can also integrate an area where you can have a blog. Why would be a reason that a product-based business, let's go, I'm going to pick a product, handmade soaps. 
why would they want to have a blog? Because they're selling their soaps. Yes. But what a blog ends up doing is it shows ways in which the soap can be used. It can show ways in which you can present it as a gift. It gives people a different way. So your people probably are very much used to the idea of maybe reaching out to influencers and having influencers use their product. Well, when you have a blog of your own, you are that influencer. You're creating the content that you would have paid possibly someone else to use. Instead of having to give away a free sample of your soap, hoping that that influencer is going to share it on their Instagram, you share it. You create the content that answers the questions that people are having. So again, you need to think about that soap. What problem are they going to put in to try to find it? Is it organic? Is it vegan? Does it use essential oils? Whatever it might be, then creating that content that answers that question and then presenting your soap link to your shop, it just gets more content out there so that it's an organic, natural way that you create the content for it. Okay, so if you do an article that talks about how to get the best use out of your soap, let's say, you're going to write the article which gives additional opportunity for SEO for people to find your whole site, which includes your product and the article, if that was the initial entrance point into the website. And then also then, I'm thinking, and then I'm gonna ask you if I'm right, Jenny. So then also, if you're reading the article and then you're looking around online because now you've liked what this article talks about, so you wanna know more from this author and oh my gosh, they also make soaps, you're spending more time on the website. That also helps with the Google juice, if you will. Yes. There's so many things that you can do with that. So now they've come over. Well, if you have a Facebook page, maybe of your Facebook pixel already set up. So now it's captured the information about that audience and you can target them with ads if you get to the point where you're using Facebook ads. You could also, with them coming to that content about the soap and how long it lasts longer, you could have a pop-up that pops up that gives them 10% off your soaps if they subscribe with their email address. So now you're building your email address. It's so important that you can have all these different ways in which you can now target them. If you're not already growing an email list, that would definitely be one of the best ways to do it because now you have those people. Those people have raised their hand and said, yes, I am interested in soap. And you will never lose those. It's not like Facebook where they're maybe going to start hiding it and they're just going to strangle the reach for that because of the algorithm. Where now you have them on your email, if you wanted to do a bundle where maybe you're going to put together a package of soaps for the holidays, now you can just send an email directly to their inbox. And they've already raised their hand and said, I'm interested in soaps. It goes from a cold lead of someone looking for how to make their soap last longer to a warm lead of someone already saying I'm interested in soaps. Yep, totally with you 100% on email. And I think we've talked about this a lot here, but I think more than ever now people are understanding that too. But what I really like that you demonstrated here, so Gift Biz listeners, did you hear like your product website, which is what you have now, enhanced by if you added a blog to the website, so articles to the website, That then can also help trigger knowledge over in Facebook if you ever wanted to do ads. And it helps with pop-ups convince people because they're getting something out of it to what Jenny said earlier in terms of making sure you're solving a problem or giving something they need in exchange for their email. And then you're able to continually talk to them. So everything works in conjunction with each other. And you have some of these pieces already set up. 
The blog part, though, I'm guessing, is one that a lot of people are missing. Because in the past, Jenny, we've just not thought about it that way for product-based businesses before. Right. Yes. Okay, so if someone were to say, okay, that's making sense, and I actually like to write, let's just go with you like to write, because if you don't, you could still do it, or you could have somebody help you with some articles, right? So the actual writing of the articles part, we don't really need to talk about here, except for how would you get started? Let's say now we've convinced people that they should include a blog on their website, okay? And they have the option with whatever platform they're using to be able to add a tab that could then be the blog. And pretty much every site allows that, which also tells you the value of doing it. I mean, if every platform has it, it's maybe something you should be doing. How do you then decide what you're going to do? Should we start with one article? Should we have three? Like, give us some direction if we were thinking of getting started, how to go about this. So, has your interest been piqued about blogs? We are going to talk about your next step right after a quick break. Yes, it's possible. Increase your sales without adding a single customer. How, you ask? By offering personalization with your products. Wrap a cake box with a ribbon saying, Happy 30th birthday, Annie. Or add a special message and date to wedding or party favors for an extra meaningful touch. Where else can you get customization with a creatively spelled name or fine packaging that includes a saying whose meaning is known to a select two? Not only are customers willing to pay for these special touches, they'll tell their friends and word will spread about your company and products. You can create personalized ribbons and labels in seconds. Make just one or thousands without waiting weeks or having to spend money to order yards and yards. Print words in any language or font. Add logos, images, even photos. Perfect for branding or adding ingredient and flavor labels too. For more information, go to theribbonprintcompany.com. So I would say start with one. Don't feel like a lot of people will say, oh, I need to launch and it needs to have five articles so that people can continue to read. It doesn't need to have that. Just get started. Because I think we have so many things going on in our lives that we have analysis paralysis. And instead of actually putting something out, we think it needs to be perfect. Get something out there. Most important thing, honestly, is figuring out what people are going to be searching for that is then going to connect them with your product. So again, if we go back to that soap, make sure that it's an easy way to be able to incorporate your soap. Maybe it's talking about the different ways that you can improve your skin and your soap is one of them so that you're then able to just connect it. And it's easy then to link to your actual page, your checkout page for your sales for the product, because you don't want to create a blog and then never talk about your products. The whole purpose of having that blog content is to to be able to make it simple and easy for them to click on, oh, there she's talking about a lavender soap. Let me see what this is and click to it and go right to your shop portion. So now they can buy the lavender soap. Yes. And at the same time, on the opposite side, You don't want to do blogs talking totally only about your product either. No, you want it to be about solving a problem for people. What I would do is I'm a very much that teacher is I would take my soap and I would think of creating some sort of graph where you can then have lines kind of going off of it saying, okay, this is what people would want. My soap solves these problems. And off of it, you could then have all the different articles that you could then write that solves that problem, which then links them back towards the soap. 
You still want to always be talking about solving the problem. You don't want to randomly start talking nothing about soap. You don't want to start talking about essential oils that maybe has nothing to do with what you are putting into your soap. Right off the bat, I'm thinking about maybe the different types of ingredients that different soaps have and the different values or benefits that certain ingredients give you versus others, maybe something like that. The other thing I think is really important because I can also see some of my listeners saying, I don't know anything about that. Like, I don't know. I'm a soap maker. I know all the ingredients of my product but I don't know the differences. There's nothing wrong with doing a little bit of research to then write your article. So you don't have to have all the knowledge and the learning right there, but you're going to be the one who's sharing that information and bringing it forward and educating others. And in turn, when you've done that research, then you've educated yourself as well and you continue to grow in your knowledge of your product too. So don't feel like, oh my gosh, you know, articles writing, I don't know that much about this. You can research it and it's okay because what you're putting into your article is in your own words. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So you're saying you can do one, start with one, which is fabulous because that's easy. How long should it be? For SEO purposes, which is what Google is, that search engine is looking for, normally you want an article to at least be 500 words to 1,000 words ideally is what you're looking for. I would also recommend making sure you have beautiful pictures. And I would have a beautiful picture of your soap in it so that now you can use that as part of the promotion that you're going to do on social media because you're going to want to share that blog post not only in Google but also maybe on Pinterest or Facebook or Instagram. So having pictures in it is going to be helpful as well. Okay, so we've got our article. We're at the right size. We've included pictures. What about keywords? So keywords, and I don't want to lose people, but I would recommend the way that you want to write your article is thinking about, again, that problem that you're going to be solving. So keyword research-wise, I actually use Ubersuggest. It's a Chrome extension that you can use where you just type in into Google what it is that you think your article is going to be about. So all the different uses for soap, maybe, let's just say. Then what Ubersuggest will do is it'll give you the normal results for that in Google, but then on the side, it's going to tell you how many searches there are for that. You don't want something that has a million searches or even starting out, you don't want anything that has more than 5,000 searches in 30 days. So when you're thinking about the keywords, you want to think about looking at if it says the uses of soap, well, maybe it's the healthy uses of soap will actually knock down the keyword volume. So the uses of soap maybe has 5,000 searches, but the healthy uses of soap has 1,200 that's going to be something that you want to search. You want to use Ubersuggest to kind of check that. You can also use keywords everywhere, but that is a paid program. Ubersuggest right now is still free and uses very similar to keywords everywhere. But it's about looking at those string of words. The words in which you use for your title is important in the way that you do it. I can actually give an example of what I mean by this, because I think when it comes to keywords, it kind of scares people and special like SEO and research. But When I was a blogger and I started out with the Melrose family, I knew nothing about keywords. I would put up beautiful pictures. I would do a DIY. One of my most viral pins that ever came to my site were these adorable, they were little Valentine's Day things where it was love bug fruit cups. And that's what I called it. The problem was, is no one was searching for love bug fruit cups because it was something I made up. But when I changed it to 
non-candy Valentine's Day ideas, the searches started coming through. And that's the difference. The difference is the words that people are actually looking for. And it's the reason that doing the keyword research is really important. That is such a good example, Jenny. We have been talking recently about naming of our products. You know, as creators, we want to have all these fancy names because we want our product to be distinct and unique and stand out. But when you name it these crazy, and I say crazy in a good way, but these really creative names, no one ever finds it. So that was a great example. You're just reinforcing. I always feel like when we continue hearing similar messages over time, you really need to pay attention because that means it's really true. You know, if everyone, like in your instance where you're teaching this stuff, you know, if you're also saying it, we need to be paying attention, whether we want to have our fancy names or not. So keywords for the title, then what about within the body of the blog? Repeat it or what can you tell us about that? You don't want it to be awkward where it's like you're repeating it every five seconds within the content, but you want it to be like natural in there. So that love bug fruit cup example that I gave you, instead of calling it love bug fruit cups, when I was then saying, well, you take the fruit cup and da da da, I would refer to it as a non candy Valentine's Day idea throughout the content. So it was there. The important thing too, when you're doing SEO is to look at the questions that are being asked because Google is looking for an article that answers all of the questions, answers everything that someone could be asking about that topic, that title that you're presenting to them. So thinking about what else would people want to know about that and answering those questions is going to help. And you're naturally going to put in that language of the soap or the healthy uses of soap. Got it. Okay. So how often should we be creating a new blog? Or because we are a product-based business, could we have five or 10 kind of pillar topic blog articles and leave it at that? It's definitely going to help if you can be consistent. But with that being said, again, we're juggling so much. So I would say start off and see what you can handle. I would aim for trying to do maybe once every two weeks. And again, you talked about maybe getting a writer or maybe getting someone to photograph things. This doesn't need to be done by you, especially if you already have income coming in and this is going to be part of your marketing plan. Looking to possibly hire this out would probably be beneficial. Your time might be better spent somewhere else within your business. So I think the more consistent you can get, the better off you're going to be because Google is looking and watching to see when is new content coming out. Bloggers typically are doing content two to three times a week. But again, they're not also creating products. A lot of them, they're looking to just be that blogger creating the content. They don't have a product that they're also having to manufacture and put together. So I would say once every two weeks, if you can do that, once a month, just to get started, aim for once a month, if that seems manageable to you, and then see if you can't up it. Honestly, I think once a month sounds way more doable. Anyone in the community who feels differently, go for it. I'm also thinking, because once you've written the article, done everything you've said, the keywords, the pictures, really made sure that it's buttoned up, it's ready to go, most of your time, you want to be telling people that it's there, which leads us over to SEO you've done, because that's what you've done as you've written the article, all the behind the scenes things. We've talked before, Jenny, about the alt tags and all of that in the pictures. So that would take care of then the SEO portion, right? getting it ready for SEO to be found in search. 
So now let's jump over to social media. And I'm thinking, let's go with someone who's just starting out, write one article. Okay, so totally doable. How do we then promote? And a lot of my group is on Facebook still, Jenny. So can we talk about both platforms? Absolutely. So I would say like, depending upon how you're using your Facebook now and how often you're posting, but it's an article that you can reuse and reshare. So it's not necessarily something like you post it once to Facebook and then you're done. You never get to share it again. You can share it again. Maybe you're going to ask a different question when you go to do your description in order to get people to click on the link to be able to learn the different uses of soap, whatever it might be. I'm hoping too that your audience is using Pinterest just because it's such a creative medium. So pinning it multiple times is definitely going to be helpful as well, especially if you have a couple different images that you can use for that. Exactly. I was just going to say that because I just learned this recently that you can take the same blog post and then change the images. Can you also change the title over on Pinterest or does that not make sense? Just the images and keep your title in the blog post. You can change the title on Pinterest too. The more images that you have to pin it with, the better off you're going to be with Pinterest. Pinterest, when I first started, wasn't that way. It is that way now. They want new images to go and link to the same article. It will actually do better that way rather than always trying to use the same image. And you can repin things to different boards. So if you have a Pinterest profile and you've set up your different boards based on healthy living or beauty or DIY or whatever it might be, if it fits under all three, you can use that same image to go to those different boards. Does that make sense? The same image. You can do the same image and then you can do another image as well that goes to those same boards. So what we're talking about, you guys, is it's the link then is heading back to the article that's on your site. Let's say I have a Pinterest account. I have three boards, let's say three different topics, and my blog post fits the subject matter of all three. So I can put the same one with the same image and the same title in all three. I could put duplicate blog articles with the same title but different images in all three, I mean, some of this gets to be overload, I get, but I'm just saying these are all the options. Or I could change the images and title, but it leads back to the same article in all three. Yes, absolutely. Because when you're able to do that, so the thing about that is you don't want to do it all at the same time. So in other words, I don't want to go into my blog post, pin it to all those three boards within the same like two minutes. Maybe one day I'm going to do one of the images to one of my boards. The next day I'm going to do it to a different board, same image, same title. And then the following day I'm going to do same image, same title to a different board. And then I can come back in on the fourth day maybe and I'm going to use a different image than I have been, but I'm going to put it back to that first board. Okay. I thought you were going to say like a week apart. So (laughs) a day apart is interesting. Honestly, I mean, you can space it out. It really depends upon the amount of content that you have. Kate All is a great person for Pinterest. If you're looking to listen to podcasts, she has Simple Pin Podcast, and she gives tons of great content about Pinterest. But yeah, I mean, there's just so much that you're able to do with the marketing as far as bringing traffic to it. All right, wonderful. Let's go into your favorite now, Instagram stories, and let's talk a little bit more about that as we close out. 
Okay, that sounds great to me. Instagram stories. The way that you can use it there is so you would post the pretty picture to your feed and maybe you're going to talk about ask a question, have a little bit of a story behind what it is that you're talking about. And then your call to action in that description in your feed should be something like in the comments, share your favorite emoji if you want to learn more about how the healthy uses of soap. And then anyone that leaves their favorite emoji, you would then give them a quick reply and say, sending it to you in your DMs. And then you would actually send them the link directly to that article in their direct messages. Now that's on the feed. Instagram stories is even easier. So if I was going to put together an article on the healthy uses of soap, first I'm going to do a poll maybe, and I'm going to say something along the lines, Are you worried about your kids going back to school and want to know which soaps are the best soaps? And then I'm going to use the poll feature inside Instagram stories, which says, heck yes. And I already know all the things. Let's just say, for example, and then anyone inside Instagram stories that clicks heck yes, you now would direct message. Hey, here's a great article on all the healthy uses of soap. And then you're going to drop the link directly to the article. So What you're doing in Instagram stories is, again, you're getting them to raise their hand. You're asking them questions where you can then see it in stories in your insights. You pop it up so that you can actually see who said heck yes and who said I already know all the information. And you're going to direct message them and have a conversation with them. And the conversation actually may not even stop with just sharing the link to the article. Let's say you're going to say, well, what's your favorite kind of soap now in direct message? Do you love lavender or do you love a lemon scent? You are trying to get into their direct messages because it's the engagement. It's that personal connection that people are so dying for right now. And it helps the algorithm with Instagram. What ends up happening now is because of the algorithm, you get into the direct message. Your pictures are going to be in their feed more often. And when you consistently do stories like that and you get into their direct messages, your story bubble pops to the front of the line because Instagram sees it as their direct messaging back and forth. They obviously have a connection. We're going to make sure that they can see their feed. Oh my gosh. Okay. Time out. Let me see if I just heard you correctly. I know it was a lot. (laughs) Uh, No, no, no. It's really, really good. But did you just say that I know that when you add to your story throughout the day, it pops to the front because you've added another story, right? But if you are interacting with people in direct messages, which we all know is behind the scenes, that's not public facing. That's just between you and whoever you're DMing with. But if you are direct messaging, that also bumps your story to the front again? Yes. So what actually happens is if you were to look and open up your Instagram stories, what you're going to notice is that the same people are always at the front of stories. And it's people that you have had a personal connection or a direct message with. They actually will pop ahead of someone even if they haven't updated their story the same amount of time as someone else behind them. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I know it doesn't matter because what ends up happening is like when I open my Instagram, the same people are always to the front. The ones that I have interacted with, ones that I've DM'd with, they pop to the front, whether they have updated 13 hours ago or if they've updated two hours ago, they are the same people are always in the front of my bubbles. And it doesn't matter when they have updated, they're going to be in the front because of the direct. Wow, I did not know that. That's amazing. Okay, so another thumbs up for DMs for sure. The other thing that I like doing in DMs is a little bit of market research. If you're looking at creating a new soap scent, let's say, 
and you're trying to decide between two different ones, that's just like you were saying, Jenny, with adding, asking another question, ask another question that also gives you more information about your audience or helps you have a decision like, what are you challenged with? Or what's the first thing that you look at when you're buying soaps or whatever the topic might be? But what else can you learn about your audience in a genuine way, like not doing it just to have them respond back again in really a genuine way? Yes. So that example that you said about, let's say you talk about scents of soaps, you put lavender and then you put lemon there. And then people are going to hit the lavender and then they're going to hit the lemon. Well, now what you want to think about doing is you want to then take it a step further and say, have you tried out the one lavender rose that we have? Get into the direct message. Continue. Don't let them just answer the poll. Continue it over into DMs. Okay. So at what point are you getting too salesy when you do all this? Honestly, as long as you continue to answer questions and the problems that they're solving, I have not that it's too salesy. I've sold $1,500 coaching programs right from direct messaging and through stories because it's not like I'm hitting them with the sale right away. Now what I've done is I've built up towards it. I've gotten podcast reviews, which we both know can be difficult to get because I'll talk about a podcast. I'll ask like, how are you listening to my podcast? Are you listening on iTunes? You're listening on Stitcher. And then anyone that hits on iTunes, I'll direct message them and just, hey, I have a kind of a huge favor to ask you. I would love it if you'd leave a review. Or I will even ask just the question of, are you a podcast listener? And heck yes. And nope, don't listen to podcasts. Anyone that says, heck yes, now I go into DMs and I ask them, what player are you listening on your favorite podcast on? Is it What is it, Stitcher? And a lot of them will come back and say, oh, it's the purple podcasting thing. And I'm like, perfect. I have a huge favor. Would you mind leaving a review? And I'll even send them a quick video that shows them like how to do it. Because it's a conversation, again, you're getting them to raise their hands by doing that poll and answering it. It's the honestly the easiest way to build a relationship with someone. And it doesn't have to go into a direct sell There's been plenty of times where I've sent someone someone and they're like, yeah, I'm just not ready right now. And I'll say to them, that's perfectly fine. If you ever have any questions and we'll continue a conversation and six months later they come back because I've continued the conversation and not made it an awkward, cold sales email where I'm like, hey, you want to be my best friend and let's buy this program? No, I've built up that relationship. Right. And I'm thinking for a lot of our listeners too, reviews, product reviews. So if you're not a podcaster, you can take the same example that Jenny was just saying and relate it to your product too. Oh my gosh, such valuable information, Jenny. What would be your overall umbrella statement to my handmade product people here who have not started a blog? What would you say to them? I would say deep breath and jump in. Start it. Just try to figure out the easiest way that can work for your schedule and what you're trying to do to get that content out there. If you're really looking to do that marketing, it's one of the easiest ways that you can do it. And you may find that you actually enjoy it. I think so. Once you get into the groove of it. And so share a little bit more about what your vision is. I know you don't look back, right? What's your quote? Hold on. I always look back and smile. Okay. So you can look back right now on what you're doing right now with a smile, but where are you going in the future? So part of my vision and my mission for my business is to be able to help all my clients have the young girls in their lives, their daughters, their granddaughters, their nieces, see that women can run businesses that don't hit a glass ceiling. They can own their own business and make their own future for themselves. And honestly, my goal 
is to create more and more female entrepreneurs that are running strong, successful businesses that are providing for their families. Beautiful. And where can people go online to find out more about you? I am on Instagram all the time. (laughs) Instagram is at Jenny underscore Melrose. How did I know that you were going to say that? (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, it's the fastest way to ask me a question too. So if you're listening, you have a question, just direct message me and I will get back to you. It's always me in there. And then of course, my podcast, Influencer Entrepreneurs, is on all of the favorite listening apps. And then I also have my website, JennyMelrose.com, which has all of the podcast episodes and tons of free resources. Perfect. And Gift Biz listeners, you know there's a show notes page. So if you didn't catch all of that, you can jump on over there and it'll already be linked up for you. Jenny, great information. So wonderful. I learned a lot about Pinterest here today. I wasn't expecting that. So that was a great (laughs) gift for me. Thank you for that. And for also all the information that you've shared with the audience. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on, Sue. I appreciate it. I know you tune out sometimes when the conversation turns to blogs, thinking that it doesn't apply to your business. I hope you can see now the added value that it can provide to distinguish you as the leader and give you more to talk about with your audience. We're always searching for that, right? So here you go. Jenny also mentioned Kate All in our interview today, and guess what? She's our very next guest talking all about Pinterest. This platform has become a search engine just like Google and can be a powerful place to attract new customers. So make sure to tune in next Monday and make sure to subscribe to the show so the next episode automatically downloads and is ready and waiting for you right when it airs. Finally, I also want you to remember that there's still time to join in to our five-day challenge this week, Set Up and Sell. Just head over to giftbizunwrapped.com, set up and sell to register. By Friday, you'll have a place to capture orders and know how to attract customers to purchase your product. A great first step, even if you haven't started your business yet. It's free and all you need is your handmade product and the desire to start making money sharing that product with the world. That link again is giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash set up and sell. I hope to see you there. Be safe, be well, and I'll catch you next week. I want to make sure you're familiar with my free Facebook group called Gift Biz Breeze. It's a place where we all gather and are a community to support each other got a really fun post in there that's my favorite of the week, I have to say, where I invite all of you to share what you're doing, to show pictures of your product, to show what you're working on for the week, to get reaction from other people, and just for fun, because we all get to see the wonderful products that everybody in the community is making. My favorite post every single week, without doubt. Wait, what? Aren't you part of the group already? If not, make sure to jump over to Facebook and search for the group Gift Biz Breeze. Don't delay. Come join us in Gift Biz Breeze today. <laughs>